We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. We need to allow our people that we lead to be who they are. That's it. We need to meet them where they are, not where we want them to be or where we expect them to be. We need to allow them to be who they are. And we need to help them become better and not because they're not good enough, but we want them to continue to grow um, and be, you know, continue to be great versions of themselves. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Daphne McMenemy is an educator, author, and speaker. Her first book, Gracie, is based on her personal experiences in the classroom. Gracie is a young girl whose learning is brought to life when her teacher introduces her to coding and a new way of thinking. As a child and young adult, Daphne was focused on becoming an educator with purpose to improve the lives of her students and make an impact on their educational journey. As an educator, for the past 15 years, she has created opportunities for children in her classroom to explore learning in innovative ways. Using STEM to engage children as young as kindergarten age in discovering learning through coding, she develops numeracy, literacy, and computational thinking skills through creative exploration. Her experience in the classroom has proven to support even the most hesitant learners in building confidence in their abilities and engaging in the learning process. Daphne is committed to building relationships, meeting students where they are, appreciating each individual, and finding opportunity to engage and motivate students in creative, innovative ways. Her newest venture allows her an extensive creative outlet as Managing Director of Code Breaker Inc. And I am super excited to have Daphne on the podcast today because as you are about to learn, she is dedicated to improving the lives of her students and making an impact on their educational journey, which is exactly what we as leaders are trying to do for our teachers. So welcome, Daphne. Thanks, Chris. Just why don't we start off? Because with that bio, there are a lot of people um, now that know exactly um, who you are, but what is it you love about being a teacher and why do you do what you do? So it might be a a cheesy answer, but I just, I love being a teacher because I, I love what I do and I love what I do because of the kids. It's sort of, it's my go-to answer, but to be honest, it's really true. I really enjoy 
what happens in my four walls. I'm not a teach with the door closed, but when you enter into my classroom, um, you sort of see a, a, a different world. There's the hallway and then there's what happens in our room. And I'm really proud of what happens in our room and what uh, my, my little learners can do and, and what they are willing to do because of uh, opportunities through, as the bio says, technology integration. And I just, I love, I love learning. I am a terrible student because I don't like to take notes or, or I, you know, I'm a terrible test taker. I, through the grace of God, managed to graduate university, but I could sit through a lecture as, as long as possible and just take it all in. I love doing that. And so I do that in my classroom because I think learning and teaching is, is the same thing. They go hand in hand. It's like reading and writing. You know, the more you teach, the more you learn, the more you learn, the more you teach. And you get to do that with, with tiny little people. And it makes it a little bit um, more fun, I think, for me anyway. And that speaks to the culture and the climate in your classroom and the culture and climate that we often need to, to foster among teachers. Because the whole idea of teaching isn't necessarily about knowing all the answers. I'm not going to be as cliche as to say the sage on the stage thing, but um, even though I just did. But uh, it's, it's about the whole idea of your guiding students and giving them the ability to learn based on their interests and things like that. And the fact that you roll into technology, which does great things for the tools that they have, goes a long way in explaining why you're effective and, and why you've been teaching so long. So I think that makes perfect sense. Oh, there we go. I like cliches, so I don't mind. You don't mind all the cliches? No, I love cliches. <laughs> we can use cliches. I, I always feel like if I say a cliche, I have to explain it a little more. Well, fair. So um, that's, that's quite a while to be in a classroom. And obviously you're proud of what's, what's happening in your classroom. Can you explain for us one of the one of the best accomplishments or what you consider one of your best accomplishments as a teacher? So I, I don't think that there was, that there's, you know, after, so I have to update my bio because it's been 16 years. <laughs> but uh, after 16 years, I can't say that there's one specific event. I mean, you know, sure, there's, there's little things like, you know, you know, being rewarded with this, that, or the other, and, you know, specific events with, with um, parents or kids or colleagues, you know, some great things have happened in my career. Some really incredible things I've been very fortunate to experience in my career with students and, and colleagues and, and their families. But um, I think overall, sort of my, my greatest accomplishment is my kids. And it's being able to, to hear from them and to hear from their parents that I've that what I've set out to do, I've done. And in that, I say I'm the biggest advocate for, for my students. And I think that they, that they need that. They deserve that. One of my, my favorite TED Talks is Rita Pearson. And her big line is every kid needs a champion. And I remember when I was in university, we, I was taking some course and we had to prepare for, it was like a career prep course. And I knew that I was going to move into a teacher's college the year after I graduated. And we had to write a mission statement. So this would have been, I guess, 16, so 18 years ago. And my mission statement was every kid has had uh, that teacher. I want to be that teacher. And that's something that I've strived to do since I became an educator. And so my greatest accomplishment is when I have become that teacher for that kid, whoever that kid happens to be. I've had some, some students make comments. I've had teachers, uh, rather parents, um, write notes. And uh, that is a really, 
really important piece of, of who I am is being able to be that person. If I didn't, if we weren't recording, I would have dropped the microphone. <laughs> um, what you just said, every kid, and to do this 16 years ago at the very beginning of your career and the idea that you've lived it out is that every kid has had that teacher and you want to be that teacher. Thinking about this from a leadership perspective, how do leaders, because everybody's had that leader, that person that for some reason, they unlocked something in them. They made them believe that they could do something or achieve something they didn't think they could. How do leaders or what are some important aspects of a leader that need to be present for them to be that leader for teachers? So I think the word that is a really important word because everybody needs something different, right? So when I'm looking at my students, some kids just need somebody to believe in them because maybe they're, they've been labeled as the behavioral kid. And so, you know, we've had those kids, they walk into our classroom on the first day of school and they go, oh, that's so-and-so's brother. Oh God, that's, you know, oh, have you met her mom? Or, you know, we have those kids and we have our, our, our beliefs and, and those kids come with labels, whether they've been created by a teacher, whether wherever, wherever the labels come from, they come. And so every kid needs you to be that something, but what that is, is up to the kid. And I think teachers need the same thing. So I thought about this question a lot because I knew what we were sort of coming into in terms of the podcast and and talking about how leaders can uh, empower their teachers. And I don't know. I mean, sure, there's specific things I can say, you know, don't do this and don't do that. But I don't think that that's fair because I'm not an administrator and I don't know what comes with being an administrator. So I don't think it's fair, just like it wouldn't be fair for somebody who's not a teacher to say, do this and do that. Um, Sometimes those things just can't happen. Maybe on the outside, they look like they can. So I respect that. But I think what I can tell you is what I experienced. I had a, I had a principal a couple of years ago who really opened my eyes to, to who I was. I mean, I knew this about myself, but just as existing who I was, as who I was, but I didn't know how other people were perceiving it. Um, I just assumed that people accepted it and, and it wasn't that big of a deal. But I came to learn that I asked a lot of questions. I knew I asked questions. It's just what I did. I asked questions to clarify. I asked questions to understand. So my personality requires that. If you're going to tell me to do something, I need to know why I need to do that. I'm not questioning your authority and I'm not questioning your expertise. And when I say your, I don't mean my administrator, I mean anybody. But the more I understand about why things need to be done or why they need to be done a certain way, the better I can accomplish that using my strengths. And also the more I can prepare myself if it's something that is going to make me uncomfortable whether it's step outside of my comfort zone or whether it's something I just don't want to do that I have to do. So I had an administrator sit me down and say that. And she said, you know, you ask a lot of questions. I said, but I didn't see a problem with that. And she said, you know, she, she, she explained to me from her perspective when she had first met me, she said, when I first met you, I realized that you weren't asking these questions to, you know, to, to question authority. You were just asking questions because that's how it helped you process what was happening. Um, And she said, but other people don't see it that way. When you ask all of these questions, people think that you're being confrontational or people think that you're being defensive or people think that you are questioning their professional knowledge. And I had never thought about it that way. I just thought asking questions is a good thing. I never stopped to think about how it was perceived from somebody else. And it wasn't until that very moment. And that was a, happened to be a really, really difficult year that I was having. And I realized in that moment that much of the difficulty I was having 
was as a result of not seeing the perspective of somebody else. And not because I didn't want to, but because I just, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. And that was really important that I had an administrator who was reflective enough rather than immediately stopping me in my tracks and shutting me down. She took the time to stop and see my perspective and try and reflect on, okay, why is she doing this? And once she figured it out, she helped me figure it out in myself. So she was that administrator because that's what I needed in that moment. And that changed who I became as an educator because it really helped me develop and forge new professional relationships moving forward because I was so closed off to, I, I, felt, I felt like a lone wolf and I realized I was closing myself off to, to what was around me. So her, opportunity, her, her ability to reflect on where I was coming from helped me reflect where I was going, um, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I, I mean, you just hit two of the biggest things that we always talk about is the ability to reflect on what's occurred and perspective taking or empathy, being able to look at how other people are experiencing things. And part of that is being able to identify how we're experiencing things from an objective lens instead of just keeping to ourselves. You know, you you mentioned the idea of explaining, going back to that, because there's a lot in what you just said that we could unpack, going Going back to that, the idea that you ask a lot of questions because you want to know the process or you want to know the reason or you want to know why it's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm a question asker myself, and it took me a while to realize that that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, big time. <laughs> I, right. And whether it's questioning authority or, or quite often, if it's not that authority relationship, we'll call it, where you know it's between um, an administrator and a teacher or something to that effect in that hierarchy that we create. The other people, um, if it's with a colleague, they think you're you're disagreeing with them if you question. And so that that took a long time for me to realize as well when I was just questioning because I'm I'm actually curious. I could see something or hear something that I'm really interested in knowing more about, mm-hmm. and it comes across the wrong way. How important is it for a leader when they're empowering teachers? Because the idea of empowering teachers is to have them step out of their comfort zone a little bit give the reins over to them, let them do things the way they need to be done. How important is it for a leader to explain that process fully when they're doing it? Like you mentioned, you want to know about the process or whether you're going to be uncomfortable, things like that. Well, I think it's really important, but I also think that, you know, there's, there's a time and place for things to be done. There's also an expectation that I, as an adult, need to be professional. And there's things that maybe are not going to be explained to me and I need to deal with that. Um, and that's okay. And that's completely expected. That's what being an adult in a profession is. <laughs> you know, I get that. I don't, I, and, I, and I respect that. But I think that, you know, there's, if, if I feel like there's a hierarchy or if not, if I feel like there's a hierarchy, because I think you just naturally do in any sort of position that you're in, there's somebody below you, there's somebody above you that end. But if, if you're made to feel like there's a hierarchy, if that's pushed at you, it's going to, it's going to diminish who you are. And if you as um, an administrator, perhaps don't feel like it's important enough for me to have my questions answered, it's no different than if a kid says, well, why do I need to learn this? Well, if the answer is because I said so, what have I just taught that child that their opinion or their thoughts don't matter? So like, I really look at, you know, your questions is how how can a leader do A or how can this relate back to leader to teacher versus, or rather administrator to teacher versus teacher student? I think it's all the same thing. It's just relative, you know, like I teach kindergarten, I teach grade one. 
the, my, my grade eight colleagues are doing the exact same thing with their students, which is relative to 14-year-old problems and not four-year-old problems. Having said that, though, many 14-year-old problems are the same as four-year-old problems. It's something yeah. I have learned. <laughs> but kidding aside, I think that you know when you value your educators, when I value my students, you create a community of trust and you create a community where you feel, you create a safe space for people to feel the way they want to feel. And you create a space for people to, whether it's me people or whether it's little people, a space where they feel safe to share their, safe to disagree and, you know, safe to just have an opinion that's different than yours. And when you create that safe space, it allows, not only does it allow these opinions to exist, but it allows for conversation to exist to find, not necessarily to meet in the middle, because sometimes, you know, black is black and white is white, but it, it, it allows that open safety of being able to say, this is why I disagree. And if you're willing to listen to me, maybe it's a perspective you hadn't seen, and maybe I'm going to change your mind or vice versa. And that's something that I've definitely learned over the last few years is, you know, especially with COVID and all of these protocols and everything that needed to, to, to be put into place. From my perspective, there was a lot I disagreed with. But until I started, you know, listening, not talking to, but listening to some of my friends who were administrators, realizing that, you know, simple rules that I thought didn't need to be put in place and reasons why that they did. When I was willing to listen to that, I understood, you know, why things needed to happen the way that they needed to happen. But I needed to be in a trusting relationship with these people to be willing to listen and to feel heard at the same time. And, and again, it's, it's no different than a teacher-student relationship than it is with, with a, a, an administrator-teacher relationship. I think that that trust needs to be there. I'm so glad you circled back to that because I was going to if you didn't. When you mentioned the idea of it's basically like the, the way teachers treat students in the classroom or um, students want to be treated in the classroom, why is it that it, oftentimes administrators or leaders forget that when they're dealing with teachers and just changing that context? Because really, that's all it is. I mean, if, if leaders can remember back to when they were in the classroom, the time that they had the most success in the classroom when they were respecting the students, they had that level of trust built where they could go back and forth and students could disagree and things like that. That's when they had the most, the most success, I would argue, or when they empowered students to do things, that's when students got really engaged in their learning. So how is it that we often, and, and this is rhetorical, you don't necessarily have to answer this unless you want to, unless you have something at the top of your head. Why is it or how is it that we often forget that moving forward? We get to that leadership piece. Do you know what? I think that we as humans will, we have a short memory. So we're always going to forget what it felt like to be two steps ago. I always compare that to parents, you know, so you're, you, you meet those. And I'm going to say this in air quotes for people, obviously, who can't see me. <laughs> we, we meet those, be, what we call behavior kids, the tough kids, the difficult kids, or pick all of those terrible names that we describe, the kids who don't walk the path that, you know, of least resistance. You know, so you have these kids for the first, say, two, three weeks of school, in my experience, first two, three weeks of school, and they make your days difficult. And, you know, you set off to do whatever it is that you do. Maybe, maybe you're angry, maybe you're, you're sit back and you're let the world go, whatever it is, they've not made your life easy. And then, you know, your teacher hat comes on and your teacher voice comes on and you're, you know, finger pointing and hand on your hip and you do all of that stuff. But then two weeks later, you meet their parents at open house. And for me personally, 
I'm a parent and I meet their parents and I see the dynamic between the parent and the child. And I hear the way the parent talks about their child. And immediately I remember that this is not a student, but in fact, this is someone's child. And those are two very different things. And for two, three weeks, when they made my life miserable, <laughs> as far as I was concerned, I forgot that, that that's someone's baby, that that you know, little person has a mom and a dad who doesn't you know, see anything that I see because they just see love in their perfect, tiny human, that they've given me their best. And so sometimes it just takes those uh, reminding opportunities and you go, oh, right, this is someone's, you know, and I'm a parent all the time, whether I'm at school or not. And yet I still forget about that. So, you know, I don't think that's something that we can fault. I think that over time you just become, you have a to-do list and, and you need to get things done. And sometimes just like at, as a teacher, you know, you kind of, you have, we have our list of things that we need to get done. And sometimes we push aside the needs of our kids because we're so focused on, you know, these other things that we need to get done. And I think that that's, a, I think that's a, a fault. That's not a fault. I think that that's, that's something that we can let go of and just sort of come at it from a different perspective per se. Right. It, it's sometimes everybody gets caught in a rut or gets caught yeah. in that whole, you know, the menial stuff of the job and not, not, by any means close to what the reason we got into education. Absolutely. But what you said was so powerful and actually has, if I could get my words to work right, actually has a lesson in it that I learned maybe two years, maybe three years ago, three years ago, about every student is someone's child. They're not that person's student, they're that person's child. And, and they're the most valuable possession in that person's life. And they trust us with that. Yeah. And that's that's a huge vulnerable step. We talk about vulnerability a lot of times, but we talk about vulnerability we can control and that has to do with us, but we don't talk about how vulnerable people are doing or, or are being with us. Yeah. And I learned a lesson from my athletic director. And I, I want everybody that listens to this podcast to try this. This this will this will change how you think. What he does, and I like talking to parents, so we were talking about interacting with parents. He often interacts with parents about playing time, things like that. And he had me try this. Next time you're talking to a parent, a parent comes in to complain, and I'll, I'll return the favor with air quotes. They come in to complain about something. Instead of just jumping right in, instead of even stepping back and listening so you can hear the whole story, let them know the first things out of your mouth should be that you understand they're not here to complain. They're here because they love their child. And Whenever I see a parent come in and they're all, you know, they're worked up, they're ready to go because, man, they've got that argument. When you say that to them, their shoulders relax and everything, you can see it happen in the conversation. Then you can have a real conversation about what you need to talk about. But somebody acknowledging that that is the, the thing they love most in the world. Absolutely. I, um, when I talk to parents, I've something I've started in the last couple of years, I think as I've, I, I mean, my daughter's 10, but you know, when I talk to them, I, if I'm, if I'm calling to, you know, voice concerns over pick something, what I always say is, you know, I'll voice my concern. And then I close it with this. I'm not calling to complain. I'm calling to let you know that I have a concern and now let's talk about the solution. And sometimes parents will say, well, this is what I do at home. Sometimes parents will say, please, dear God, help me. I don't know what to do. Some parents will say, 
yes, some parents will say no, and and we've all experienced that. But by stating that, I think is is, is exactly what you said. You know, it's it's. I think every every parent needs to feel like their child is the only person in the class. And you know, when when I've heard people say, "Well, you know, I have twenty kids. You know, your kid's not the only one in the class." Well, I don't care. I only care about my kid. Right. 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 I don't care about nineteen other children. Right. I don't know. I care about mine, and I don't think that that's an unfair thing for me to think. So I think then, yes, obviously, I have you know twenty children or twenty five children or in kindergarten we've thirty. But if if you feel that I'm, you know, that your child is the only person in my class, then I think that that is a good thing. I think that that is important. As as a leader of a school, something that I used to say that I didn't really follow until about, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe seven years ago because of that very thing. And I, I had had some issues with my um, my child's school. And the responses from the teachers as far and, and even up to the principal as far as, you know, that's not your your kid's not the only kid, stuff like that. Yeah. I had always said before that, well, you know, teachers in my building, I I wouldn't have a teacher in my building that my kid, I wouldn't be good with my kid being in, in class. Mm-hmm. And I always said that because, you know, hey, that's tough and, you know, yeah. sounds good. But probably about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, I really started to and enforce is completely the wrong word, but I, I really started to live by that because if a teacher, if I wouldn't feel good about having my kid in front of a teacher in the building that I lead, who am I to say that that's okay for somebody else's kid? Exactly. Because they love them just as much as I love my kid. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, once you get into that, that's a really powerful thing. And actually I, that's my first question in the finalist interviews for any teacher that I'm interviewing is take the first three minutes of the interview and convince me that I would place my own child in front of you. Oh, that's a good question. And you should hear some of the answers I get. Oh, <laughs> I imagine. That's such an important thing. And I think that once we realize that, I think we build that trust in that relationship piece. Much like as leaders, if we look at teachers and realize that that teacher is a mother, a father, a daughter, a brother, I think that's that's a much more powerful way to deal with people rather than saying, well, you're a teacher and do your job. I had um, in my first, in my first year teaching, not only my first year teaching in my September, in my third month teaching, I had literally graduated teacher's college in May and I got hired to a full-time position in September. So I hadn't done any contract positions, nothing. I was in the right place at the right time. And I was very, very lucky to, to land this position. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was terrified. I was overwhelmed, anxiety through the roof, no clue what I was doing. Anyway, I remember I'd been teaching for say 10 weeks and I walked into the office and I was sobbing and I don't know, pick, pick why I was just overwhelmed. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, as far as I could, I was concerned, I didn't know what I was doing. And I walked into my secretary uh, to her desk and I was just in tears. I couldn't get it together. And she knocked on the principal's door and she said to him, you need to talk to her because she's going to leave and not come back. And that is not unheard of for, you know, first year teachers to not make it through a year because it is just, it's, it's a tough go. And it was 16 years ago. I don't even know what first year teachers are doing now. God, God love them. 
Anyway, I walked into his office and this is something I have remembered. It's been 16 years. I sat down, he had his big, you know, beautiful mahogany desk and his big principal's chair back there. And then he had two chairs in front of his desk. And so as we did, when we had to go to his office for something, we would sit in one of the chairs in front of his desk and he had a cup of coffee on his desk. And he picked up his coffee. He got out of his big comfy throne and came and sat in the chair across from me. And I remember sort of stopping. I was all the 25 years old and kind of taking that moment in. And 16 years ago, I still remember that from my, my very first year teaching. Um, that was his, he never spoke to us from across the desk. And what he eventually told me was that that is a, that's a power thing. And he never wanted to invoke that. He never wanted his teachers to feel like he was above them. And he always, if there was ever any kind of issue, he always sat across from you. And then as I sobbed, he, and I said to him, I feel like I've been picked up off the street and thrown into something. He turned and he said, no, that's literally what happened though. You walked in off the street one day and I said, do you want a job? So absolutely you should feel this way. And the very next thing he said was, what can I do to help you? And I don't remember anything else in the conversation or whatever happened after that. I just know that that's how I was treated in my very first year teaching. And I think that that paved the way for who I became as an educator. You know, I'm much more self-reflective than I am now. You know, all of the, the, the great things that I, that I can talk about today, I know I wasn't that, I mean, I was always deep down that person, but perhaps there was, there was a lot of learning in the last 16 years, but from, from a, a leadership point of view, that was what I was taught from the get-go. And it really, it was a huge moment because it taught me, it taught me that that's how I need to be with my students. You know, like it just simple things like if I'm going to talk to them about something uncomfortable, their behavior or, you know, their choices or, you know, something undesirable that they had done, it's physically getting down to their level. I teach young kids, they're short, <laughs> they can't help it. <laughs> so right. I'll, I'll crouch down and talk to them so that they're, they're not frightened so that they do feel that they're in a safe space. And when I say safe, I always mean physically, but also emotionally. I think that that's really important. And that was something that was taught to me very, very early on from my very first administrator and not it, he just taught me that because that's just how he treated us. It was no, it was no lesson to be taught. It was a lesson to be experienced and then take that to our kids. And that's something that I really, really valued is when I feel like I, is when I feel like I'm being listened to, but without having to have said what I needed, like my needs are being met without me having to say, this is what I need because somebody in a position of authority or power has taken the time to get to know me and understands what I need before I even walk into that room. And, and I've been blessed with, with administrators who have been able to do that and who have been willing to do that actually, I think is a more important phrase. That's so important. And you're touching on such a huge subject, the idea of validating others and making yeah. you feel validated as not just a teacher, but as a human being, because they're paying attention to what you need. I want to dig more into that. And some of the other things you talked about as far as like respect and empathy, but uh, the first thing I want to do is take a quick break to hear from a couple of our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Better Leaders, Better Schools Mastermind. The Mastermind is built on the ABCs of powerful professional development, authenticity, belonging, and challenge. With all three components, leaders experience transformation in their personal and professional lives. Personally, I've been a member of the Mastermind for years, and it's transformed my leadership by teaching me how to challenge the status quo 
and honor my personal vision for what leadership should be. Join me and other leaders from around the world in the mastermind. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Daphne, and we were just um, starting to break into the topic of validation and validating teachers, not just as the professionals they are, but also people. And that runs hand in hand with trust and giving teachers opportunities to improve themselves. So I'm just wondering, Daphne, if if I'm a leader and I'm, I want to validate somebody and give them an opportunity, one of the things we often struggle with um, once we empower somebody to do something, that means we have to let go to an extent. And we have to be okay with what we get from teachers. How do we work to do that in a better fashion as leaders? I think, again, I just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not an administrator. You know, I, I am a leader. I see myself as a leader. I'm a classroom leader. But I just, I I go back to my own personal experiences. You know, if I need to let my students uh, be who they are so that they can be the best version of themselves. And I, I, I would like to think that as an administrator, you know, you can look at that the same way. Now, don't get me wrong. I completely understand that there is a whole different list of rules cans and can't do, um, or cannot rather. I respect that. I don't know what those rules are. I just know that there are things that I want to do that I'm told no, because politics exist and I can complain, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. So I'm not going to complain. I do have to respect that these hard stops and hard no's are in place for a reason. And whether that's a personal reason, again, I can't change that, or whether it's a, it's a political reason or it's a building reason or it's a logistical reason, you know, I understand that and I, and I can respect that. From, but from the basic human piece, I think that we have to be able to let go. That is not something that I am good at in certain areas of my life. I am like very, very anal about certain <laughs> things. And, you know, if you love me, you just deal with it. You roll your eyes and you move along. And, you know, it's the same thing. You know, you're not, you're, you're going to, you have to respect that certain people come with a proven track record. And whether that's an adult or whether that's a student and proven track record in any direction. If I know that every time I do A, I'm going to end up having to explain to somebody why their child is bleeding on the ground, well, then I should stop allowing that child to to do that, right? Right, right, In any direction. So if you've proven to me that this is the path you're going to take when I let you do this, then I, I need to think about that. And again, positive path, negative path, whatever that may be. So you need to take what you've learned about the people that you're leading whether it's an adult, a teacher, a child, or student. You need to take what you've learned about that person and allow them to flourish within their space, within their comfort zone. You want to push them to move out of it. You don't want to pick them up and throw them out of it. That's never a good idea. But you want to encourage them to, to move out of that direction. And sometimes 
for you to, to push somebody out of their comfort zone requires you to leave your comfort zone. That takes time. That takes time and it takes time to learn to do, but it also takes time to be comfortable doing within yourself. And I think as an educator, we need to give our administrators a little bit of a break too, because sometimes they can't move out of their comfort zone for their own personal reasons, or again, for political reasons. And we need to be able to understand that as well and, and maybe cut them some slack a little bit. And I say that because I was the person who couldn't do that. So I say that knowing people are going to be listening to me going, you are full of it. <laughs> but <laughs> I can admit completely that there are times where I, I, I pushed too far, not respecting that that was out of their comfort zone. And I was expecting people to be where I was in terms of you know my thinking and yet... I don't do that to my students and I'm expecting, you know, somebody to be able to do that for me. That's not fair. So I think that, you know, there, it, it comes right back to trust though. Like if you don't trust me to have my students well-being, academic, physical, social, all of those things, emotional at the forefront of what I'm doing, then you shouldn't let me do things. <laughs> if you can't trust me, I understand but why don't you trust me? And why haven't we developed that relationship? So that's really important to, that, that's something that you need to, to ask yourself as an educator and as a leader and, and work towards changing that for the I, better. I love how authentic you are about that piece, about pushing people out of their comfort zone. Because there, there are people out there that say, well, just do it. I, I was talking to somebody that said, well, you know, if I'm leading somewhere and if it's going to cost me my job, well, whatever, it's worth it. And I do it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's let's see how that works when you're sitting in that chair. <laughs> exactly. So, so I just, I love the idea that you're saying, yes, people need to be pushed out of their comfort zone, but there comes a point where you can't be pushed. And and we're not going to talk about Vygotsky and zone of proximal development and all that stuff. We're not going to go back to ed philosophy. But um, the idea, and and I talk about this, often the idea of the circle of empowerment, because I see it as a circle where you start out supporting somebody, then you get them engaged enough to where they, you can empower somebody that's following you. But if they're getting out of their comfort zone, there's a good chance they're going to fail mm -hmm. or, or fall down or fall short. But the most important thing somebody can do after that is to realize that they're out of their comfort zone and to prop them back up and support them. Yeah. So, you know, and that, that comes with accepting a project that's finished not quite maybe the way you would finished it or things like that. But what I do find is by doing that, that opens the door for a reflection and, and a lot of reflection. So, and that's always a good thing to reflect on where you can get better and, and things like that. Absolutely. Reflection is who I have become in, in my last few years, whether that's age, whether that's life experience, whether it's sort of a little bit of both. I, I talk a lot. I know as my friends. <laughs> you and me both. But I, I, I listen and I, you know, I listen to uh, what people have to say. I may not always like it, but I need to deal with it. I also listen to what is not being said. And I think that that is a really, really important thing, especially for our kids. Not everybody can say what they need. Um, not everybody knows what they need. But if you're listening and if you're watching and if you're observing, uh, this goes for anybody, whether it's, you know, adult to adult relationships or adult to, to students, whether 
you know, if you're sort of watching, not assuming what they're going to do wrong or right, but if you, you watch, you can begin to build that trust. And, you know, and when you're letting your colleagues know that, you know, you you see things that they've done, whether it's, you know, something, you know, tangible or just the way that they talk to you or talk to kids, you build that relationship. And I, you know, I hate to, you know, we've we've exhausted relationships matter in the last year. I, I understand that, but it's, you know, listening to what's not being said is I think really, really important. And that goes for, for, for every relationship professional or otherwise. No, absolutely. And, and often it's in the silence when we discover things. Yep. So we're at that point in the podcast where I have to ask you two questions that I, I just need to ask everybody that comes on here, just right, because I'm, I'm interested in them and they, they actually sometimes lead to different interesting conversations. Okay. The first one, if you were not a teacher, who, not what would you be and why? So I remember this question and I, I thought about something really brilliant to write, but, um, or to, to, to answer. <laughs> and I, I couldn't because I am who I am like teaching, teaching is not, I am teaching is not what I do. Teaching is who I am. Um, so I wouldn't be anybody different. I would be me. I would be me just not in a classroom. <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, that's a perfect answer. Yeah. That's that's brilliant enough if you think about it. I mean, who else would people want in front of their kids, teaching their kids, than somebody who says, I'm a teacher. It's not something I do. It's who I am. It's, that's it. That's it. It's what I was born to be. And then the next one is meant to be, um, it's about the listeners of this podcast. So it's meant to be the golden nugget. Okay. Um, of this podcast. So this is where you're going to bestow something brilliant upon oh, all God. of us. Such pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Don't worry okay. about it. Right. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to support, engage, and empower teachers? The, the piece of advice I think I would give is sort of everything that I've uh, talked about in the last half hour, we, we need to allow our people that we lead to be who they are. That's it. We need to meet them where they are, not where we want them to be or where we expect them to be. We need to allow them to be who they are. And we need to, we need to help them become better and not because they're not good enough, but we want them to continue to grow um, and be, you know, continue to be great versions of themselves, but accepting everybody as they come is is what we need to do. I love that answer. And anybody listening to this that knows me is going to think it's some kind of setup. I always oh no. say <laughs> continuous improvement because, and not because we're not good, but think about if we could just get one or 2% better, Yeah, how awesome we would be. And that's, that's kind of what drives me. So that's a fantastic, and I'm definitely in that camp. That's a fantastic answer. There we go. So look, you, you've said a ton of really good things. 
And I can't imagine somebody not wanting to follow up with you. So what's the best way that people can get in touch with you? So you can find me on Twitter at McMenemy Tweets. I have a couple of different websites you can find me on, but you'll find all that stuff on Twitter. Uh, DaphneMcMenemy.com is uh, the main site where I host my blog and there's a little bit of information there. And then from there, you'll find different links to Codebreaker. CodebreakerEU.com is another place you'll find me. And DiscoverGracie.com is the website dedicated to uh, my Gracie books. Awesome. And now there's, are there three of those or two? There are three. Yep. There are three. Yep. Awesome. I'll link all those up in the show notes so people can check them out because I'm, I'm sure they're going to want to look at them. Amazing. And thank you for everything today. You've, you've said some fantastic things and um, I'm sure leaders and teachers alike are going to find a lot of value out of today. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.